following sermon audio is from Love City Church, Cincinnati. More audio and information about Love City Church can be found at www.mylovecitychurch.org. Uh, if you would, please turn with me to Psalm chapter 26. We're going to continue... Uh, through our series in, in, in the Psalms that we started several weeks ago. Uh, this is something we've done over many years and will continue. Uh, we decided several months ago that we would continue in our Psalm series today as opposed to stopping and doing a Mother's Day specific sermon. And I want you to know, I don't think there's anything wrong with the latter, stopping and doing a Mother's Day sermon, but uh, as we thought about it, and, and here's, I think, the truth of the matter, what, what moms need most is what we all need most, and that is the truth of God's Word. And so we're going to get that today from Psalm 26. Amen? Uh, now, that it was the plan. However, as I looked more closely at Psalm 26 this week, and of course, I'm thinking about moms and, and Mother's Day, I, I, I did see how much of what Psalm 26 contains obviously applies to all of us broadly, but also to moms and, and the holy task of mothering specifically. So as we work through this, I'm going to point out both of those things, the kind of broad applications, but may, maybe the more specific ones. And, and my prayer is that the Holy Spirit will instruct all of us right where we are and in, in, in whatever we're going through. Uh, I, I would just like to say now before we read Psalm 26 that when I talk about moms, I'm not saying this is what other people need to do, but when I talk about moms and mothering, I personally always have in mind what I will call <clears throat> the office of mothering. And I think perhaps being adopted makes me a little bit more mindful of this, but I am not only talking about those who give birth to children and raise them when I'm talking about mothering, okay? That's just, it's just kind of the default for me. I know that's maybe not the case for everybody, but I want to say that because if I don't stop and, and make that clear as I'm moving forward, I want you to know that's kind of always where my head's at. Now, let me be careful to say this. I am not in any way diminishing the importance of physically giving birth. Uh, we all owe our existence to a woman during that process, Amen. <laughs> Uh, unless they made you in a test tube somewhere and, and it didn't make the news, you know, tell me about it later. I'd like to hear the story. But uh, a, a mama enduring the process of, of baking you and birthing you is why you're here. Uh, so I don't want to diminish that at all. But I do believe the power of the gospel, which makes those who otherwise would have no connection into the family of God, it means the office of mothering transcends biology. I do believe the Bible teaches that. You might say, well, I don't know, man. Does it? Well, just something small for us to consider together. This is not an exhaustive defense of what I just said, but let's just think about this. In 1 Timothy 5, Paul instructs Timothy to treat older women as mothers. So what he says is, Timothy, if you've got an older woman within the household of faith, treat her like a mother. Okay. Now, in Titus 2, older women are instructed to mentor and to teach younger women. And so we've got both sons and daughters in the family of God. 
being given instructions kind of in reverse order, but, or in, in which way we're talking about who's considering the other, but the bottom line is we have sons of God being told to treat older women as mothers, and we have older women being taught to act as mothers towards the younger women. Okay, so that seems maybe a compelling thing to consider. Christ and his gospel making us an eternal family, I believe makes, it, it means that every woman can operate in the crucial role and anointing of mothering. And I really believe we need that now more than ever. And we've always needed it, but we really need it today. We really need women to feel the freedom to operate in that role outside of the boundaries of biology. We need good gospel mamas. Uh, we're, we're starving to death for that. And papas, too. <laughs> don't, don't, uh, don't get it twisted. But Father's Day is in a month. We'll talk about that later, okay? Uh, and, and here's the thing. I, you might be like, I thought you said you weren't doing a Mother's Day sermon, bro. Yes, I got you. I, <laughs> I took the time to say all that because I'm hoping that every one of you ladies, whether you have biological children of your own or not, that you will take the role of mothering within God's family seriously. And thus, you'll be able to take to heart whatever specific applications and encouragements are mentioned from Psalm 26 today. That's really the hope and why I took the time to, I think, concisely make a case for gospel mothering. <laughs> you may disagree, but you don't have a microphone, so no one will know. Amen. Okay, did you turn to Psalm 26? We're going to read that together. It's not very long, uh, and as a special Mother's Day gift, I'm shooting to preach short. Um, so, you know, Gil, this isn't for you, buddy. I said it's for the moms, okay? Uh, Gil's back there clapping. He about stood up and danced a little bit. Uh, just remember, though, it, it's the thought that counts. If, you know, I said I'm shooting to preach short, so don't shake your head at me, Jillian. All right. Let's read this psalm together. Psalm 26. Vindicate me, O Lord, for I've walked in my integrity and I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. Examine me, O Lord, and try me. Test my mind and my heart, for your loving kindness is before my eyes and I have walked in your truth. I do not sit with deceitful men, nor will I go with pretenders. I hate the assembly of evildoers and I will not sit with the wicked. I shall wash my hands in innocence and I will go about your altar, O Lord." that I may proclaim with the voice of thanksgiving and declare all your wonders. O Lord, I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. Do not take my soul away along with sinners, nor my life with men of bloodshed, in whose hands is a wicked scheme and whose right hand is full of bribes. But as for me, I shall walk in my integrity. Redeem me and be gracious to me. My foot stands on a level place in the congregations. I shall bless the Lord. Praise God for his word. Let's come back to verse one. Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity. This plea for vindication means David is likely being falsely accused or lied about. Uh, you may not use vindication in your daily vocabulary. The definition of vindication is clearing someone of blame or suspicion. Okay, that's what vindication is, and that's what David is 
pleading with the Lord for. Now, the fact that he is asking the Lord to vindicate him means he is likely unable or unwilling to try to vindicate himself. And that's a really hard situation to be in. Uh, Sometimes the circumstances are such that trying to defend ourselves will only make things worse, or sometimes the people involved are so unreasonable that it would be fruitless to try. And that's, that's a difficult spot to be in. I hope none of you find yourselves in that type of situation. Uh, part of why I, I hope that is because I have been in several of these types of situations where I've been lied about or someone's perspective was so skewed that really the only way I could vindicate myself would to be go, I'd have to go on the offense and expose them in order to make, basically let it be known that what's being said here is totally off base. And <clears throat> look, there, there might be times when that is appropriate uh, to expose the truth, you know, that, and, and whatever ramifications come of that, there might be times when that's appropriate, but I, I, for sure, there is one instance in my life that I can think of when I was in this kind of spot, and I prayed about what to do, and, and the Lord clearly reminded me that Jesus was silent before his accusers. So I'm kind of like, all right, Lord, this, this, this does not feel good. I feel upset about what's happening. <laughs> Uh, probably wasn't quite as monotone as that as I'm talking to the Lord about it. Um, what do I do here? And, and I, the only answer I got from the Lord was this, this reminder of Jesus silent before his accusers. I was like, okay, great. That's helpful. (laughs) Uh, and I, I, I will say this, this is a hundred percent true. Keeping my mouth shut and just letting my name be drugged through the mud was one of the hardest tests of obedience I've ever had as a follower of Jesus. Because I knew I could blow the top off of the thing. It wouldn't even be that hard, but the Lord didn't want me to. And now, to some degree, I know why. And I cannot promise that this will always happen when we obey the Lord around things in this area, but in this specific case I'm telling you about, after a couple years, I, I was vindicated and there was genuine repentance from those who had treated me that way. And I'm so very thankful for that. And the, the circumstances in which that reconciliation happened were so undeniably orchestrated by the Holy Spirit that I'll never forget them for the rest of my life. And so I am, I'm very thankful that uh, God in his great strength restrained my natural inclination, which is, oh, really, right? Now we're going to pull grenade pins. What's up? (laughs) (laughs) You want to dance? Let's dance. Um, Now, it would be easy to mistake what is being said in this psalm broadly. It, it, It could seem that this plea for vindication that David is making is based on him thinking he is morally perfect, right? Uh, Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity, and I have trusted in the Lord without wavering, all right? Uh, When he says he has walked in integrity and trusted the Lord, we know for sure it doesn't mean that he thinks he is perfect and thus deserves the Lord's help. 
like, Lord, vindicate me because I'm the man, okay? And, and, and you, could, you could maybe mistake what's happening here, okay? Here's one thing we know for sure. David knows he is a sinner. This is one of the main reasons he is called a man after God's own heart. David is, is one of the first to display in, in kind of vibrant color throughout the Hebrew scriptures a heart of contrition and repentance before the Lord. And this is, this is part of why he has the Lord's favor, okay? What he might be saying here is that he has walked in integrity and trusted the Lord in this specific situation. So not saying I'm perfect everywhere, but in this situation I'm dealing with right now, I, I have trusted you and I've walked in integrity. Or he may even be saying that the general trajectory of his life is one where both faith and works are operating together. And well, I say, how do I say that? Well, I've walked in my integrity and I've trusted the Lord. I hear, a, I hear a forward echo to the book of James, right? Faith without works is dead. You see both here. He's not just sitting around hoping. He is walking in integrity. He's walking in obedience to the Lord. But he's also not depending on his walking and his, his strength, right? I, obviously exemplified by the fact that it starts with vindicate me, oh Lord. Like, Lord, I, I need your help here. Because for whatever the reasons are, I can't fix this. Um, something that would be really helpful for us to realize more often, probably. Amen. Uh, but here's, here's kind of the, the, the main reason we know that's not what David is saying within this context. So if you, if you pan out and kind of know the whole Bible narrative, then it's very clear David doesn't think he's perfect. Just pick a, almost any other psalm and you'll figure that out that he wrote. But even here, we see in verse 6, we see a mention of uh, washing his hands and being at the Lord's altar. And what happens there? That's where atonement for sin takes place. Okay? There's even a call towards the end to the Lord, redeem me. There's a need for redemption. David is not a guy that thinks he has earned God working on his behalf through his perfection, for sure. That's not what's happening here, all right? Uh, which is real important for us to remember as gospel people, all right? So part of, and I would push that even a bit further, part of what it means to walk with integrity and trust in the Lord, part of what that means, in, in, like, injected into, mixed into that in a way you can't pull it apart is the idea that if I'm going to walk in integrity and trust the Lord, I'm going to stay in a humble posture of one who knows they are dependent upon God's grace and mercy. You cannot, before the Lord, walk in integrity and trust him if you are not in a humble posture of someone that knows you need his grace and mercy. That's, that's step one, okay, in being able to walk with integrity before the Lord. Because if not, if that's not where you're at, integrity is busted because you, you have a, a miscalculation about where you stand in the thing. If, if you think, oh yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm doing pretty good, actually so good that God probably owes me a few favors. So can you take care of this light work for me, Lord? These bad mouthers over here? That's, nope, that ain't it. Okay, so <clears throat> now I, I want to say, I think this idea of of trusting in God to vindicate us when we can't do it ourselves, of course, has broad application, but I think, I think it can apply to mothers specifically. And here's what I have in mind as I see that. I'm not sure that it's always been this way. Maybe it has, but it, it seems like in this day and age, there is a lot 
of harsh judgment and unrealistic expectations heaped upon the shoulders of moms. That's my observation. Uh, and well, what do you mean? I've, I've kind of seen it come from all different places. It can come from total strangers. You know, it, it could come from family members. Total strangers that know how to do your job, mom, better than you. Family members that know how to do your job, mom, better than you. Uh, it can come from other moms, which I think is bizarre and sad that there kind of becomes this competition, weird thing where moms are looking to undercut each other and maybe feel better about their own mothering. I, I don't know what all drives that, but it's really sad. Moms should be number one cheerleader for other moms because moms know how wild it is to mom. No moms can say amen to that? Am I making stuff up up here or is it true? Being a mom's wild, ain't it? It sure is. I'm not even one I can tell just from casual observation how wild it is. <clears throat> and I was a son, so I know what, <laughs> how hard I made it on mine, so amen. Uh, this, this kind of this harsh judgment, unrealistic expectation, it can come from all those places. It can even come from the kids. Because sometimes kids are little manipulators, man. And they'll, they'll try to heap stuff up on you to just get you to let them have more sugar or, you know, whatever they want, right? So I want you to listen to me, mamas, and gospel mamas. If you love those you are caring for, and you are truly doing your best to reflect the goodness and compassion and even the correction of God to them, then at the end of the day, you really only answer to him. And, and I hope you can take that to heart and not be plagued by these kind of harsh judgments, unrealistic expectations. The, the one place I didn't mention where this oftentimes comes from is from you, mom. Sometimes it doesn't even take other people. Sometimes you're your worst critic. And getting into the condemnation that can come from trying to carry those heavy burdens is not going to help you be the kind of God-honoring Christ-reflecting mom that you want to be. It's going to do the exact opposite. Don't feel guilty for not carrying around heavy loads of mom guilt. Um, that's not helping anybody. Okay? <clears throat> so at the end of the day, you do only answer to the Lord. He's the one that sees and knows. But I, I want to make sure I'm also saying, I'm not saying you can't ever defend yourself or discuss things with someone that's criticizing you. Uh, sometimes that's right and appropriate, uh, but in the times where you can't, okay, in the times where you find yourself in a spot where, uh, whatever, for whatever reason, David can't vindicate himself, he needs the Lord's help, okay? In the times when you can't, if you are vindicated before God, everyone else can kick rocks. If you're vindicated before God, the nosy super mom judging you at the park, your own kid with their bad attitude, or the inner monologue in your head trying to terrorize you, all of them can kick rocks and go on somewhere. Because if the Lord is looking upon you with delight and you are vindicated in his eyes, then the supreme judge of all things, and, and, and here's the beauty of that. Well, I'm, I'm going to end up jumping ahead. Just hold that. There's a reason why it's safe to, to kind of put ourselves out to the Lord like that and trust him, okay? And, well, we're, actually, we're going to get right into it. So 
Amen. Uh, it's, it's verse 2 and 3, really, that opens up the, the reason why we can, we can... It almost seems insane what David prays here, but we're going to talk about it. One other thing I just... I, I want to balance this out. What I'm not saying is that everybody, or moms specifically, can take like a, well, if you don't like it, then just, you know, deal with it type attitude about everything, right? Because, why? Well, we all need to be able to take and even be desirous of love-motivated input, even if it stings to hear it. Okay, so when I'm talking about harsh judgment, I'm talking about unfair burdens, I'm not talking about the people that genuinely know you, love you, have a Bible in their hand, love Jesus, and maybe are noticing something and, and, and want to speak truth into your life as, as an act of love. That is something we should be open to and desirous of and thankful for. Uh, so, you know, I, I don't want you to leave here thinking the theme is, you know, I, I, I've deputized you to just Z-snap everybody into silence um, when perhaps... <laughs> what they have is something that's actually the Lord trying to talk to you through this person that knows you and loves you and loves him, okay? Um, <clears throat> but I do want, we, but none of you, nobody has to carry the weight of unrealistic expectations or harsh criticism that is motivated by pettiness or pride. Nobody has to carry that. You don't have to, you're free in Christ to not worry about it, which is really, really good news, actually because there's a whole lot of that out there. Uh, none of us are going to be perfect, and moms won't mother perfectly. But if we are humble and open to the inspection and the instruction of the Holy Spirit, we can move forward in hope instead of being crushed under the weight of condemnation. And that idea leads us right into verses 2 and 3. Let's read these. And just see how we feel about it. <laughs> Examine me, O Lord, and try me. Test my mind and my heart. Examine me, O Lord, and try me. Test my mind and my heart. This is a wild prayer to pray. It's even wilder when you realize the language here is not just examine me. We, we might be like, oh, yeah, okay, sure. But try me and test me. Okay? You're, David's asking for the Lord to put him through some stuff to show that his trust is really in him. This is what Peter talked about, that our faith is like precious metals and jewels that will be tested by fire. Hay and stubble and worthless things burn away. What comes through is pure. Okay? But it, it's not... Just like Peter acknowledging that the Lord does that, it's like, well, I can't, you know, yeah, he's going to do it. He's the Lord. Hallelujah. It's good for me, right? Amen. No, no, no. This is going a step further. Bring it, Lord. It's like, <laughs> no. let me get under something before I talk like that, okay? Lord. And so again, I think we're in another situation where if we're not careful, this could be seen as... David being cocky or thinking he's so overflowing with moral virtue that he has nothing to worry about. He'll pass any examination or testing the Lord may bring. But I think verse 3 shows us how David is praying this way. And I would say this is the only way a sane person 
who understands the reality of things could pray this kind of prayer. The only way you could pray something like, uh, (laughs) examine me, O Lord, and try me, test my mind and my heart, is if you're aware of verse 3. And if verse 3 is true for you. For, so Lord, do that. For, or because, your loving kindness is before my eyes. And I have walked in your truth. It is because of David's awareness of the loving kindness of God that he can pray such a bold and kind of insane sounding prayer. (laughs) Like, Lord, bring it. Why? Because I know whatever you bring is out of your loving kindness. It's out of your goodness. This this whole request for examination, testing, and trying, it it hinges on God's loving kindness. And the word here, loving kindness, is hesed. If you want to hear how to say it properly, ask Pastor Andrew, okay? There's probably some throat to that that I'm not doing, okay? But in common Midwestern English, it's hesed, okay? Okay. That word is found about 250 times in the Hebrew Scriptures, and it is a word bursting with meaning. Hesed is not merely merely an emotion or a feeling. It involves action on behalf of someone who is in need. Hesed describes a sense of love and loyalty, okay, that inspires merciful and compassionate behavior towards another person. Like, try, try to think of an English equivalent of a word that is trying to encompass all of this. We really don't have it. So it's, it's translated loving kindness, but man, it is, you, you, I, we could for sure do a whole sermon on, on just the word said. okay? This word describes the multifaceted and beautiful nature of God's covenant love for his people. God's loving kindness, when you see that word oftentimes throughout the Hebrew scriptures, and as I said, it's, it's about 250 times you'll find it, we're talking about this kind of, it, it, it's almost as if, I, I, don't want to, I don't want to draw a direct correlation between this, but almost how in the New Testament, it was, it was as if the New Testament writers under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit pulled this word agape out of nowhere. Like you don't see agape in ancient literature almost anywhere. And then all of a sudden in the New Testament, it's like, boom, this is this word used constantly to describe the love of God because it's this unique it's, it's not like eros, it's not like phileo, it's not like these other kinds of affection that, that the Greek language could describe. It's something totally different. It's God's love, and it's so big, like it needs its own word. And, and hesed is kind of like the, the Old Testament equivalent of that. It's, it's, it's the covenant love of God, the loyal love of God, the faithful love of God, and it's because of this, this multifaceted love and compassion of God That's before the eyes of David. That's why he can say to God, examine me, test me, try me, and not be terrified (laughs) of what might happen because he knows that whatever God does is going to be for his good and in a proportion that is going to be something that with God's help he can navigate, okay? Uh, So we see here it's only because of the hesed of Yahweh that David could pray this kind of prayer. And this truth about God's incomparable goodness and love for his people, it is what David says he walks in. The tr- this truth of God's loving kindness, that, that's, that's, it's, it's, an, it's an illumination that guides the way. 
for David and his life. And so we see by way of example here that it is safe to ask God to examine us and test us because it is not for our harm but for our good. It is also not to reveal something, catch this, this testing, examining, it's not to reveal something to God he doesn't already know. Okay? The examining, testing, and trying is for our benefit so that we may see accurately where we are doing well and where we still have room to grow. Do you think God needs to put us to the test to know what's going on in the deep inner parts of our hearts and our minds? No, he already knows. And so this is actually for our good, for our benefit. And so the question I would pose to you, something for us to be thinking about is, have you ever prayed this kind of prayer? Lord, examine me, test me, try me. And another good question would be, what would keep you from praying this kind of prayer? The main obstacle would probably be a lack of revelation of the hesed of God. Because the more you're convinced of the hesed and the agape of God, the more you will feel very safe coming to him and saying, Father, test me, try me. Examine me. I want to know what you know. I want to know where I'm doing well and you're pleased, and I want to know where I still need to grow. I don't want to sit in some false place of thinking, yeah, everything's, everything's groovy. Lord hasn't sent any fireballs my way lately. Must be fine. Right? <clears throat> the safety that David feels to pray this way, I think, is also instructive for parents and and my hope is, I, I, I'm praying that the Lord would help mamas and daddies to assess, examine, and instruct our children for their good. That our children would be confident of our love for them and our loyalty to them. So that they are free of fear that we will reject them when the areas they need to grow are revealed. The way David could come to God the Father, let me say it shorter, uh, the way David could come to God the Father, I'm praying that children can come to parents within the household of faith. And those that are being mentored can come to gospel mamas and papas in the faith and not have a fear of rejection when we're honest about uh, or, or things are revealed where we need to grow. That's, it's really crucial for a healthy continuation of the path of, of discipleship, for those things to be in place, okay? Uh, and this, this principle, of course, applies beyond um, biological children to everyone that may be mentoring or discipling anyone in the faith. Uh, amen. So let's go to verses 4 and 5. I do not sit with deceitful men, nor will I go with pretenders. I hate the assembly of evildoers. I will not sit with the wicked. So does this mean, if we follow God, we think we're better than dirty old sinners? Is that what David is uh, exemplifying for us here? Does this mean that we never associate with those who are not seeking to obey Jesus and live for his glory? Is what we pull from this idea that, you know, uh, I don't sit with deceitful men, I don't go with pretenders, I hate the assembly of evildoers, is that what we should get from that? I, I'm going to propose to you no. I think the key words here to understand the heart of what David is saying is that the key words are sit 
and go. Sit and go. This is not language that describes just interacting with, or, or this is not language that, that describes seeking to love and serve those who do not yet follow Jesus. Sitting with deceitful men and the wicked, or going with pretenders, that describes a situation where instead of you standing firm in the faith and being a light to help the blind to see, you are covering your eyes and acting like you're blind yourself. That's what sitting and going is talking. It's talking about a, a situation where the flow of influence has reversed from where it should be. Okay? Because if, if you have been brought from death to life, from darkness to light, from blindness to sight, you should not be going into situations with people who are still dead and in darkness and blind and saying, hey, where are you going? Or hey, where are you hanging out? Ooh, I want to be there. Let me come kick it with you. Or let me, let me go the way you're going. No, no, no. The influence should be flowing from the person that is alive and has light and life, <laughs> okay, and sight. Uh, you know, you've, you've heard the phrase, the blind leading the blind, and, and that's normally used to describe a situation that is just absolutely nonsensical and foolish, uh, and it is nonsensical and foolish, and that's really what David's talking about here. Jesus told us in the book of John to be in this world, but not of this world. Many of you have seen that. Some of you may have a t-shirt that says that. I know it's fairly common and has become somewhat cliche, but it is oftentimes really hard to know. Let's, I think we can be honest about this. It's hard to know where that line is of in the world, but not of the world. It's kind of hard to figure that out. But what we must, what we must do is we, we have to always seek not to run from that line so that we're not in the world at all, but we also must seek not to cross it. This is one of those places where we're going to need the truth of God's word written upon our hearts, but also the, the daily instruction and help of the Holy Spirit to kind of know, all right, in this situation, in this relationship, in, in, in this context, where, where is that line of me not withdrawing in some kind of monastic superiority away from the ickiness of the world. Okay, I don't want to do that. Jesus said, I need, I'm, he's, let, he's lit, he is the light of the world and he's lit me to now go be the light of the world. So, so I got to be in the world to do that. But, but where is that line where I'm crossing over potentially now becoming of the world? And, and even in maybe in my attempts to be relatable or to be a friend or whatever, there, there is a line. And most of the time, people tend to pick one approach or the other. Uh, they either cross way over the line, like, oh, well, Jesus said to be in the world, or people are, are way pulled away, and uh, neither one of those will do. Like, man, well, yeah, but it's so hard. Why would, why would the Lord put us in a position that hard? Duh, so that you know you need him yet another way, Right? You didn't know you were dependent on the Lord to do any of this stuff that pertains to following him? I, if, if this is the first time you heard that, well, hallelujah, you just got a key to the kingdom. Stick that in your pocket. Carry it around, all right? Amen. Uh, this, I, I, so this whole idea we're talking about, it can be particularly hard for moms in our day. Um, there, there is so much of man's wisdom out here masquerading as truth uh, when in fact it's foolishness and folly. I would say that's especially true when it comes to how we should raise kids and what we should teach them is true. 
And, and so there's many Christian moms today that may even feel the need for vindication because they're attacked for refusing to teach their children things are true, which God has said are not. They may feel attacked and, and, and put down as a result of that. And, and moms, I know there is a lot of pressure to compromise on a lot of things today, but please remember this. Love without truth is not love. Truth without love is not truth either. Okay? The most loving thing you can do for those you've been entrusted to care for is stand for the truth that is revealed in God's word and pass that to them. That's, and what I just said to you, I know how hard that is, but, but it's still true even when it's become just like G.K. Chesterton once said it would. He said this, there will come a day when a man will be howled down for claiming that two plus two equals four. We're basically there, okay? Grass is green. Well, I don't know. What do you mean by that? I don't mean, I just mean grass is green, man. This is, I don't, you don't have to read more into it, okay? I don't mean anything by it. Well, who told you that? Okay, all right, I'm out. What I'm saying is, here's why I gave you that Chesterton quote. The call to stand in truth as mothers and to hold that line, it, that line doesn't move because the days are evil and the times are hard. It just means we're going to need more of the help of God and the support of the people of God. Okay? Verses 6 and 7. I shall wash my hands in innocence, and I will go about your altar, O Lord, that I may proclaim with the voice of thanksgiving and declare all your wonders. Now, I already mentioned earlier that verse 6 shows us this plea for vindication is not coming from a superiority complex or a false sense of perfection. Uh, it, is the, it is the grace and mercy of God most vibrantly exemplified in the person and work of Jesus that frees us to proclaim the wonders of God with genuine and heartfelt gratitude, okay? Now, David knew of God's great love and patience and compassion, but he had not even seen the full expression of these things in Christ, of course, because where he's at on the timeline of God's plan of redemption, a thousand years or so before Christ was born. But it is, it is at the cross of Christ that the world was finally able to see clearly how you can have a God of perfect justice and perfect love with no contradiction. And that is something that sometimes even with our ability to look back at the cross, we struggle to understand. But, but the cross is the answer. If you, if you struggle to understand how you can have a God of perfect love and perfect justice, friend, fix your gaze upon that final and holy altar of the cross where the, the, the final and perfect sacrifice was given. That's where you'll find your answer. We, we must believe, because it's true, that real love never just turns a blind eye to sin, because sin destroys everything it touches. That's something... We, our, our responses to sin 
are oftentimes lackluster and apathetic simply because we are not convinced of the destructive nature to the degree that sin ravages and destroys all that it touches. But it does, and and we should be convinced of that. Our Father's ability to deal with sin truthfully, with patience and compassion, because of his great love for us, is the perfect example that we should seek to follow as we lead those entrusted to our care. Verse 8. O Lord, I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. Now, David would have been talking about the tabernacle. Uh, David was not allowed to build the temple uh, because God said his, his hands had shed much blood, but he did give him instructions, and his son Solomon built the temple. So in the time that Dave, of David, what he's talking about is the tabernacle, the habitation of your house, the place where worship uh, of God was happening, and the place where God's glory dwelt. Uh, this is a, in order for us to apply this and, and to see whether or not we could say the same thing, we need to make sure we understand um, if, if we were to say, oh Lord, I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells, and our mind went to a space like this, then we are misunderstanding the New Testament reality. Uh, the, the, ha- the habitation of God in the place where his glory dwells, as a result of Christ's death and resurrection and, and the release of the Holy Spirit to dwell inside the people of God, you now are the place of God's habitation in the place where his glory dwells. We now. okay? So we could all get up and go sit in the street and finish this sermon, that's now where the house of God is. We are living stones fitted together. This is what Peter said. We are the habitation of God. And that, I mean, if that doesn't help you just ratchet up the desire to act right, like I'm supposed to be the house of God, right? I'm a living stone fitted together with other living stones. Like that, that should really help in the motivation department when I'm just feeling like acting like an idiot. You know what I mean? Like, I'm the sacred space that God has chosen to dwell in the earth. I'm going to be out here wiling and doing all this? No, man. It's a big responsibility. It's sacred. But, uh, so in the New Testament, this, the habitation of your house, that would be the, the people of God. The place where your glory dwells, that would be the people of God. I have, I have a question. I think it might just be interesting to see how many hands go up. So I'm asking for a hand raise here. How many of you had a mother or grandmother who sincerely loved the Lord and that had an effect on your life and faith? So my hand's going to go in the air. You had a mother or a grandmother that loved the Lord and that affected your life and faith. Okay. Uh, let, me, let me read you this. <clears throat> this is 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. So this is Paul writing to Timothy. Timothy was a pretty prominent instrument in the launching of the early church, right? We saw the, the writer of Hebrews mentioned Timothy. Uh, he's kind of Paul's protege, a, a pretty, pretty prolific um, first, you know, first few years of the church being birthed. He's, he's a pastor, church planner, okay? God used him in mighty ways. Here's what Paul said to Timothy. I am mindful of the sincere faith within you which first dwelled in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I am sure that it is in you as well. So Paul is aware of the spiritual lineage of Timothy, 
traced through his mother Eunice and his grandmother. And I just can't tell you how many times I'm out on the street and talking to somebody and I'm, I'm trying to work the conversation towards the gospel and, and I'll, I'll start to get there and, he, and what I hear come out of someone's mouth is, because sometimes it's like, All right, what, what do you think about Jesus? So, so I'll start there. I want to know where they're at. And okay, so have you had any background with, with being a part of a church? I, I literally, if I had a dollar for every time, the answer was, yeah, my grandmama took me to church. I'd have so many dollars. So many dollars. It's very common that, that mamas and grandmothers hand down this kind of spiritual legacy. And so for those of you, for those of you that raise your hand because you have had that experience, please don't ever forget that. For those of you that, that did not have that experience, then determine that the generations after you will have that. It's, you will hand spiritual legacy and a, a love for the place of God's habitation and where his glory dwells, which is what? The people of God. Verses 9 and 10. Do not take away my soul, do not take my soul away along with sinners, nor my life with men of bloodshed, in whose hands is a wicked scheme, and whose right hand is full of bribes. This is a request for protection from the violent and those who concoct wicked schemes. Uh, I, I don't know if you've had this experience. I've been in a few real deal life and death, like life on the line situations with people that had evil intent. Okay, so I know what David's talking about here. And I do know for sure that the Lord protected me in those instances. I mean, you know, if you want to hear stories, come see me later. I, I, if I get into that, this for sure won't be a short sermon. But um, it, I, know, I know the Lord has covered me with his hand of protection before. Because I've been in some stuff where it's like, you know, I laugh about it now, but it wasn't funny when it was happening <laughs> type stuff. Okay? So, uh, and, and probably not often enough, but I... I also really, I thank God for all the times he's protected me, and I had no idea I was even in danger. I, I'm sure that's been a lot of times. And I, the other thing I want to just say about this, is I, am, I am very confident that the prayers of my mother, my grandmothers, and several gospel mamas that are in my life and love me, they have made the difference more times than I may ever know in some of the stuff that I've gotten into out of my own stupidity, or sometimes it had nothing to do, you know, it wasn't Vince being ignorant that day, it was just bad things happened, okay? But here I stand today, and I know the prayers of godly women who've, who have cared about my life has made a difference. And why am I saying that to you? Two things. One, we can pray for God's protection for us, but I'm, I'm encouraging you moms, grandmas, gospel mamas, man, pray and know that it matters. There's been many times somebody in one of those categories will text me and say, I'm praying for you. And it's like, Lord, thank you. Like, I, thank you for letting them know I really needed that right at this moment. So um, I'll just submit that to you to think about <clears throat> and hopefully do something about it. Don't just think about it. Amen. Verses 11 and 12. But as for me, I shall walk in my integrity, redeem me, and be gracious to me. My foot stands on a level place. In the congregations, I shall bless the Lord. 
I, I really think verse 11 is a great summary of the Christian life because it avoids the pitfalls of falsely believing that we are totally measuring up or giving up because we know we don't. Because aren't, aren't those the, the ditches? Aren't those the possibilities? Either falsely believe we are measuring up or get super discouraged and just lay down because I know I'm not. Right? Verse 11, as for me, I shall walk in my integrity, but redeem me and be gracious to me. That almost seems like it's saying two different things, right? I'm going to do it right, but redeem me and be gracious. Well, what do you need redemption and grace for if you're walking in your integrity? And that's the point. That's, that's really what we're seeing here. We can strive to walk in holiness and integrity at all times with the help of the Holy Spirit and know we will need the redeeming grace and forgiveness of God every single day of our lives. Both. Okay? These two are not mutually exclusive. And, and oftentimes we trick ourselves into thinking they are. <clears throat> and this is true for everybody. But mamas, let me say this to you. I want to say it as short and sweet as I can in, in a specific application of this principle for you. Rely on Jesus to help you do the best job you possibly can and rely on Jesus when you come up short. Let him carry the weight on both sides of that coin, and then you can truly experience why he says that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. If you haven't experienced yet the lightness and the easiness of the yoke of Christ, it may be you need some help by the Holy Spirit to, to kind of tune up the way you perceive these things. Because Jesus said, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. So it's true. If that hasn't been your experience, it's not because he's just arbitrarily decided not to let you experience the lightness and easiness of his yoke. It means there's some disconnect between you and the truth that allows you to experience that. Okay? <clears throat> Amen. That's, that's really helpful. If, if you don't know why yet, think about it longer. It, that, can, that can set some people free. Verse 12. My foot stands on a level place. In the congregations I shall bless the Lord. This repeats the theme of verse 8. We're seeing again this kind of, in the mind of David, the psalmist, there is a seamless binding together of connection to God and connection to his people. Just, it just goes together, and you don't see it separate. So what does that mean? Well, think about this with me. Matthew 7, Jesus is the rock on which we stand. Everyone with me on that? Okay. He is the rock on which we stand. Why am I talking about this? My foot stands on a level place. Okay. Jesus is that cornerstone, the strong foundation. If the cornerstone's not level, the whole building's jacked. You understand? That's the one you set first. Every other stone is set off the cornerstone. That's why he's called the chief cornerstone. So I'm standing on a level place. I'm standing on Christ. Yes. He is the rock on which we stand. We have a firm foundation, and it will not move or shift beneath us. The foundation will never be the problem. Connection to God. But we also have the family of God around us so that if our legs become weak while we're standing on the cornerstone, we can support one another and hold each other up. 
Nobody stands on the cornerstone alone. If you're standing on the cornerstone, you're standing next to the rest of everyone else trusting in that cornerstone. And, and your, weak, your legs aren't going to get weak because the, the stone started to move or it's cracking or it's shaking or it went unlevel. That won't happen. But sometimes our knees are weak. Sometimes we get feeble. And the beautiful truth we see tied together here is I can stand on a level place in the congregation. I shall bless the Lord. So if, if I start to, I'm counting on the fact that I got brothers and sisters in Christ going, Got you. And then in 15 minutes, when you start to get a little weeble wobble, I got you. Amen? What a beautiful truth. Everybody needs the stability that God and his people provide. And I pray that we have it and are full of gratitude for it, for our good and for his glory. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. God, thank you. For Psalm 26, thank you for this plea for vindication. Thank you for uh, how your word oftentimes leads us into areas that it's, it's just difficult truths. It, it, it opens up the, the reality of how hard it is to live in this world sometimes. There are challenges to the left and to the right. There are... <laughs> I, <laughs> when your word says... I'm pressed but not crushed and persecuted but not abandoned. Like, God, that, that is so relevant. Um, thank you for the, the times of refreshing and the seasons where, where we, we feel as if we are in, in lush valleys and, and the wind is at our backs. But, Lord, so much of navigating <clears throat> this life is, it is difficult. It is hard. There are enemies Sometimes we're our own enemy, and Lord, thank you again for the reminder that not only do we need you, but we have you, that your faithfulness will never fail, and thank you, Lord, for the, 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 just the specific applications to the holy task of mothering that are within Psalm 26, and God, I thank you for just sovereignly helping us as a church. Um, I didn't plan to be on Psalm 26 on Mother's Day, and yet here we are, and I just give you all glory and honor for knowing what we need and when we need it. And I'm so thankful, Lord, right now, just for the power of your Holy Spirit to, to take what we're doing here, to the gathering of your people and the teaching of your word, that God, I thank you that you can meet Everybody here is in a different spot. Everybody here is in a different place in their journey. They're going through different kinds of things, but Lord, you will meet each of us right where we are. You, your word is so powerful. Your love for us and your attention to us is so, it's so accurate. You know us so well that you'll meet each of us right where we are. And Lord, help us to feel loved by that and be so grateful for it. You don't have to be that good to us. You didn't have to be this amazing, but you are. <laughs> we love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Love City Church, located in Cincinnati, Ohio. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To give or find out more about Love City Church, visit www dot mylovecitychurch 
www.thepeopleshow.org.